0: You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. They were terrified, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, one of the theological dangers that we are faced with maybe even in our own minds and our own hearts, but we hear it a lot, is the idea that the Old Testament is all law and the New Testament is all gospel. In fact, when I first started to learn the difference between law and gospel, that's what I thought it was. Old Testament, law. New Testament, gospel. Old Testament, all rules and expectations. And in the New Testament, all of His promises and gifts. Old Testament, God is angry. New Testament, God is happy and nice, and he loves us, this sort of thing. I think I heard someone say that one time. The Old Testament, that's when God was mean, (laughs) and the New Testament is when he gets a lot nicer. Now, there are at least three problems with this kind of thinking, and we're going to walk through them in the sermon. In fact, that's what the sermon looks like today, to address this, and especially with the text. Now, the first problem with this kind of thinking is this. It divides God up, like there's two different gods. There's the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, the mean God and the nice God. In the history of the church, there were theologies that in fact did this officially. The Gnostics did this. They had a dualistic idea of God, the the, the creator God, which was the bad God, and then the transcendent God, which came to us from creation. And that snuck its way into the church with a guy named Marcion, Uh, who started a little, I I think it was probably a cult, the Marcionites, and that's that's what they thought, that the the God of the Old Testament was the mean and wrathful God, and the God of the New Testament was the nice God. Here's here's the one-sentence definition of Marcionism from Wikipedia. Marcion believed Jesus was the Savior sent by God. Paul, the apostle, was his chief apostle, but he rejected the Hebrew Bible and the God of Israel the Marcionists believe that the wrathful Hebrew God was a separate and lower entity than the all-forgiving God of the New Testament. That's amazing. And I think, not only is it amazing that there was such a confusion of theology in the, in the Marcionites, but that, but that there are a lot of people that I think that could be the definition of their theology today. That God is, if you just were to ask him, that God is mean and wrathful in the Old Testament and that he's nice and loving in the New Testament. Now, Marcion was condemned in the year 144, but it's interesting to note that when the Lutherans started to talk about the distinction between law and gospel in the Reformation, that the Roman Catholic Church accused the Lutherans of being Marcionite, of rejecting the God of the Old Testament or of dividing God up into the mean God and the new God. Now, this is certainly not true. We believe with all Christians that there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons eternal and united in the Godhead. And we believe that the entire Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, give us the history of this one true God and His work to save us, that the same God we read of in the Old Testament is the God also of the New Testament. So, problem one. We don't believe in two gods. Now the second trouble with the idea that the Old Testament is all law and the New Testament is all gospel is that it misses oftentimes the preaching of the law in the New Testament. Jesus is understood to be the anything goes kind of god, the tolerant and accepting god. You you this is what I'm talking about. You hear this kind of thing all the time. In most people's theological imagination, Jesus is more concerned with us being happy than he is with right and wrong. Now, the cure for this kind of thinking about the New Testament and this kind of thinking about Jesus is simply to read any page of the New Testament. (laughs) Because Jesus did not come to undo the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus' preaching of the law is even more intense than Moses' preaching of the law. Remember how Jesus did it? He said, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. The same thing with murder. You've heard it said you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you call your brother a fool, if you hate your brother, then you're a murderer and you're, and you're guilty of the counsel, guilty even of hellfire. Jesus, it's true, preached love, but far from being a soft peddling of the law, the preaching of love is an intensification of the law, because love demands everything, even our life for our neighbor, that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is a surprise to people, but Jesus, if you took all the teaching about hell in the Bible, and you took all the doctrines of hell, the, the, the verses where, where the prophets spoke of hell, or where the apostles spoke of hell, and you put them all together, they would... You would have a small little pile compared to the verses which Jesus spoke of hell. When you, this is a controversial topic, and so the doctrine of hell is often disputed, so we go and we look at the Scriptures, and almost every time we pull the Scriptures that speak of hell out, they are from the words of Jesus. Now, if we miss this doctrine, this preaching of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God the wrath of God, and the importance of the law, if we missed it in the teaching of Jesus, then we would see it in full display on the cross. Because before the cross is a display of the mercy of God, the cross is a display of God's wrath. Think of it like, if sin was no big deal, if Jesus wasn't worried too much about our little mistakes, then what is he doing on the cross? Why does he have to suffer like that? Why does he have to go through the agony? Jesus prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But apparently, according to God and his holiness, it is not possible. He must suffer so that we see on the cross what we deserve, the full impact of our sin and our rebellion against God. So the New Testament also preaches God's law. Jesus is not a do-whatever-you-feel-like kind of God. And we Christians know God's law. And in fact, we delight in His law. We rejoice that the law shows us our sin and shows us where to repent. And we rejoice that the law no longer condemns us and that the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we begin to keep the law. So, the second problem of the thinking that the Old Testament's all law and New Testament's all gospel is we would miss the law in the New Testament, but we don't miss it. Now to the third thing. If we think of the Old Testament as all bad news and the New Testament as all good news, then we are at risk of missing the good news, the gospel, that's in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, just like the New Testament, preaches law and gospel, sin and forgiveness, condemnation and salvation, The theme of both the Old and the New Testaments is the same. It preaches the justification of sinners through the atoning work of the Messiah. I was reading yesterday Martin Luther's preface to the New Testament, and in his introduction to the New Testament, he has this list of quotations from the Old Testament. I thought, what are you doing, Luther? It's almost like he's introducing the Old Testament. But he's arguing, he's making an argument, and it is this that the New Testament is, in fact, not new. It is the fulfillment of the old. From the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, the Lord promised that the seed of the woman would trample the head of the devil. And that promise went to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Judah and to David. The Lord promised that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, that He would be born in Bethlehem that he would go to Egypt, that he would live in Nazareth, that he would perform miracles, that he would heal the sick and raise the dead, that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, he would be rejected by the people, hung from a tree, pierced, but none of his bones would be broken, that he would be laid in a new tomb, that he would rise on the third day, that he would ascend into heaven to sit on God's throne, David throne and that he would rule his heavenly kingdom with grace and mercy. All of these things are promised to us in the preaching of the prophets, and they are fulfilled in Christ. And not only did the prophets of the Old Testament preach all of these things about the Messiah, the Lord arranged all of the stuff in the Old Covenant in such a way that the Messiah would be preached every single day. The covenant of circumcision reminded the people that the promise of of the gospel, was in the seed of Abraham. Especially in the priesthood and in the sacrifices, the Lord was reminding the people that the Lord would accept the death of another in their place. Now, it seems to me like I've preached on this a lot of times lately, and you guys have to, especially now that I'm getting older, you have to warn me if I'm repeating myself, right? But we want to pin this thing down in our minds, that when an Israelite would bring the sacrifice into the temple the lamb or the goat or the bull and would bring it to be sacrificed on the altar and would see that that lamb that didn't do anything wrong would see that lamb burning and the smoke of that lamb going up to heaven would know that god is accepting the death of another in my place the lamb didn't do anything wrong i'm the sinner and it should be me suffering from God's wrath, and yet the Lord in His mercy accepts the death of another. Now, all of this, the tabernacle and the priesthood and circumcision and all of the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, especially the Passover and the Day of Atonement, but all of it, was in one way or another preaching Christ. So the promises preached Christ, the worship preached Christ, but there's even more in the Old Testament. Most simply, we see Jesus showing up in the history of the Old Testament. Now, Jesus was not yet named Jesus, so we speak of him in this way as the Son of God or the second person of the Holy Trinity. But but the Son of God was there when God created the world. When God said, let there be light, that was the word of God. Jesus, before he was named Jesus, there. There. In the beginning was the Word, says John, creating, moving, all things came to be through Him. And the Gospel of John tells us even more. This is John chapter 1, verse 18. Now listen carefully to what John says in this verse. This is a great mystery, but it's really quite wonderful. John says, no one has seen God at any time. Think about that. No one has seen God at any time. He continues, The only begotten Son of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. No one has seen God, but the Son has made Him known. This means, according to John, that all of the times when people saw God in the Old Testament, they were seeing the Son of God. Jesus. So it was the Son of God who walked with, with Adam and Eve in the garden. It was the Son of God who visited Abraham and Sarah and said that she would be with child. It was the Son of God who was in the burning bush and spoke to Moses, the son of God who stood before Joshua and sent him into the promised land. It was the son who was in the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day that led the people. And I think, and take this for what it's worth, I can't prove it, but I think that when we read in the prophets these kind of things, that the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, or the word of the Lord came to Amos, or the word of the Lord came to Micah, or whoever, and we don't have any more details about that particular thing, that we should think simply of Jesus standing in front of the prophet talking to them. The word of the Lord. He is the word of the Lord. He is the word of God. So that when we see God in the Old Testament, we see the Son of God. Now, there are a few exceptions to the rule there are a few times in the Old Testament, just like there are a few times in the New Testament, three in the New Testament, that we do hear the voice of the Father and even see the Father in a vision, but every time that we hear God or see God, almost every time that the Son is there, and in fact that they're speaking to one another or about one another. So in the vision of Daniel... We see the Ancient of Days, but we see the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. Or in Psalm 2, we hear the conversation between the Father and the Son. You are my Son, today I have begotten you. But it's Jesus who tells us this, and so forth. Now what this means, and this I think is a change of thinking for most of us, is that when we hear God in the Old Testament, when we, when we read about the Lord or the Almighty, that our first thought is not of God the Father, but that these things refer to God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, before he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. The Old Testament is about Jesus, not only you see, not only in the promises, and not only in the preaching of the priesthood and the tabernacle, but simply that Jesus was there. This is, this is him doing all of these things. Now, with all of this in mind, I want us to consider the text put before this morning of the Of the transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, his brother John, up with him to the top of a high mountain, and there he is transfigured before them. The radiance of his divine nature shines through his flesh, his face, and even his clothes, and Moses and Elijah show up, and the cloud, and the voice of God the Father. Now, it's difficult to imagine more of the things of the Old Testament, the people, and the themes showing up together in one place. The mountain reminds us of Mount Sinai and Moses who went to the top of it. The glowing of Jesus reminds us of the face of Moses when he would go into the tabernacle. The cloud that comes, the glorious cloud that covers the mountain, reminds us of the cloud that covers Mount Sinai when Moses was there for 40 days and then went before the people as they wandered in the wilderness. And there, on top of the mountain with Jesus, are Moses and Elijah two of the greatest prophets of the old testament the gospel of luke tells us that moses and elijah and jesus were talking about his exodus his departure and peter recognizes that in some way something old testament is going on here and peter says let's build three tabernacles like moses built in the wilderness and then the voice of God comes from the bright cloud, quoting Deuteronomy 18 verse 18. This is my beloved son, listen to him. Now this is stunning. If you took the 39 books of the Old Testament and you kind of condensed them down to a few sentences, you kind of pulled all of the stuff together and, and, and called it and, and boiled it down, you would get something like this. A mountain with a cloud, and a couple of prophets and a, and a, and a glowing, uh, fire and all of this. So that Jesus, far from rejecting the Old Testament or throwing off the Old Testament, Jesus in this way is confirming the Old Testament and in fact showing that He is the embodiment of the Old Testament. So imagine it if you can. Peter, James, and John see these things. They see Jesus radiating. And they see Moses and Elijah there and they hear them talking. And they see the the bright cloud and they say, let's build a tabernacle. And then they hear the voice of God booming from the cloud and they fall down on their faces and they cover their eyes like this because they're terrified and they can't stand to see these things and Jesus comes and he touches them and he says, don't be afraid and they look up and the text is emphatic they saw no one but Jesus alone Jesus only now does this mean, mean Jesus, like he normally looked, Jesus, as he had been familiar to them now does this mean does this mean that the divinity of jesus has left him and is gone no his divinity was there all along but it's hidden in this man christ when they see jesus only does it mean god the father is gone no he's there all along but he is hidden in christ to reconcile the world to himself. Is the bright cloud of God's glory that filled the temple gone? No, it was there all along. Jesus is the temple of God in which the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. But now it's hidden in Christ. Are Moses and Elijah gone? Jesus dwells with all of his saints always around him. And he not only is... It dwells with his saints, but he is also the content of the prophets preaching, the fulfillment of their promises, and he himself is the greatest of all the prophets, as he is the greatest priest and the greatest king. They're there, but they're hidden in Christ. So that when when Matthew in his gospel tells us that Peter and James and John saw only Jesus, he is telling us that all of the Old Testament, all the promises of God, all of the things pointing forward to Christ—that all of these things have found their object and their goal and their fulfillment in Christ—they are all hidden in Christ. Now, this is what Peter tells us when he gives the report of this incident later. Take a look at this epistle lesson. It's there in the bulletin. This lesson from uh, from Second Peter, Chapter One talking about the transfiguration. And he says, we were there on the mountain and we saw all these things. And then look at how he concludes. He says, when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and by this voice, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter reports the transfiguration, and then he makes the conclusion that all of the prophecies and all of the prophets, they were fulfilled. Their word was was confirmed telling us that all of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it is about Jesus, the Messiah. This is really quite wonderful, that whenever we study the prophets, just like when we study the prophets or the the apostles, we are studying the words of Christ and rejoicing in Him. So, let's dislodge this idea. The Old Testament is law and the New Testament is gospel. All of it preaches Christ. And something more. It It not only preaches the person of Christ, but it preaches the work of Christ. That this Jesus is your Savior. That this Jesus is winning for you the forgiveness of your sins. Let's hear one more passage. This is the preaching of St. Peter again. This is in Acts chapter 10 when he's preaching to Cornelius' house and he concludes his sermon with these words. To Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So from front to back, prophets and apostles, all the way through the Bible, we have a book about Jesus who loves you. Jesus, who died for you, so that you might have life and salvation and the forgiveness of sins in His name. We might, on the Sunday of the transfiguration, be awed by the glory of Jesus, but the good news is this, that He hides His glory. Can you imagine if the radiance that He demonstrated on the Mount of Transfiguration, if, if if He had that same radiance in the garden when they came to arrest Him, Or if he had that same glory when he stood before Pilate. Or if he let his divinity unleashed like that when he hung on the cross. He hides his glory. Because it's not the light that shines from his flesh that saves you. But the blood that flows from his wounds. Jesus is true God in the flesh. And he is there so that he can suffer and die. But dear saints, rejoice. You have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is God, your brother, who loves you and forgives all your sins. To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.